0: Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J J10 initiative. Hey, welcome, welcome to the podcast.
1: Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, Father John, Father Mike here. If only you knew what happened in the seconds leading up to that record button.
0: Well, welcome to, I, I think I, can I, uh, welcome to Catholic Stuff That Father Nathan Goebel Should Know. Ah, uh. I was listening to this recent podcast. I think it's We're going the most after, recent. We're we
1: going after him right away here. Well,
0: it's yeah, on. we are. Okay. We are. Right. Okay, so this most recent one uh Father Nathan should know, having gone through courses on logic that a uh, the lowest form of logic is ad hominem. Ad hominem attack. <laughs> yes. Very good. Nice. Uh, that, and in Which other means words, where you
1: attack the person—an insult, right?
0: In common parlance, right? It's when you don't have anything better to say, you attack the person, right? For example, calling them—oh uh, no, now I've forgotten what he called us. <laughs> Come uh, savages, on, man! Savages, savages! No, he called us uh, slackers and derelicts. Derelicts. <laughs> no, it wasn't derelicts, but it's something like that. It was definitely slackers.
1: Yeah. Well, I so don't You even, should
0: know that this is ad hominem,
1: and I will not be reduced to that level. That's right. Well, let me get one more bourbon in me, and then I'll, I'll tell you what I think about you, oh Father boy. Nathan. No, I'm just joking. No, we're happy today because we got a fresh shipment in from Europe. So we're looking at a bottle of Basil Hayden's bourbon and a bottle of Maker's oh, yeah. 46. And so we'll cheers that crazy Polish yes. last name that has cheers. no vowels in it at the end. We'll give them a little shout out. Plus, we got our fresh supply of Sour Patch kids. That's good, but dangerous. Mar- Marianne Apple's uh, uh, cookie bars, oatmeal mm. chocolate chip cookie bars, my favorite. Um, so, we're going to be putting on the pounds here now that it's. Well, Easter. I've
0: mentioned that I don't like sweets, but I do like Sour Patch
1: Kids. And you like my mother's bars. And right? I love your mother's bars. Of course, bars. you do. That's I right. do,
0: Marianne Apple. That's I love
1: right. those bars. That's right. Well, Nathan, Father Nathan, whoever you are, Father Michael.
0: Whoever you are.
1: <laughs> you just, just wait, buddy, because we've got a lot more years of podcasting. So. Anyways,
0: that's right. It's always with love.
1: It's always with love. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, here we are in Easter and um, yeah, celebrating. Hopefully everybody had a good Holy Week. Um, we are going to jump into a crazy topic here. Um, but uh, before I wanted to, I wanted to share with you what I learned in German today. I started oh, yeah, studying German good. four days ago. Mike has to hear the only Duolingo? thing I Duolingo. This was from Duolingo. Duolingo is amazing.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. This is an an online, it's like an app. Yep. That I think, gives you I think free the, language lessons?
1: I think most of the world knows what Duolingo is, right? Okay, sorry. I, you, I can do know, you can do Duolingo. I heard you can study Klingon in Duolingo. Did you no, know No, you that? can't. Were you a Star Trek guy? I was not. And I, there was one of those
0: languages that I was looking for, and I couldn't even find it on Duolingo.
1: I don't know. Akkadic? Well, yeah, maybe I doubt they have uh, the languages you have to learn. Babylonian. Aramaic. Klingon.
0: Well, that's totally worthless.
1: Klingon, I'm going to get yeah.
0: feedback for this, but I stand by that. Totally worthless.
1: That's right. Well, I want to say this about Nathan Goble. I don't want to say this about you. Du bist eine Frau. That's what du I want. Du bist say. eine Frau. Du bist eine Frau. You're ah, a woman. Very good. Sehr yeah. good. Ad hominem.
0: How long have you been doing that Duolingo?
1: I, I know how to say that. And Brot und Wasser, bread and water. I can order bread and water and uh, say thank you. But this language is insane. This is good. So Father it's Mike and I are difficult. studying German this summer, and I'm like, I didn't know what I got myself into. I we have to know this language, so it's not like we're. But the word for "you're welcome," you know, it's so beautiful in Italian. You say grazie, and you say "prego," right? It's so easy. Yeah. In German, I, I was looking at this vocabulary word. So if someone says "danke," I guess you say "bitte," but according bitte. to my yeah, Duolingo, I'm thinking, I'm it says thinking. I have to say. In Oh, in Schulgen. In Schulingen. I was just like, what the hell in kind Schulingen. of word is it? <laughs> I thought that was like, excuse me. Well, in it might be. I just started learning it. So anybody who knows German?
0: Well, here's the problem with the duolingo oh. So they start you out with all this very simple vocabulary, which in is, the, is the only simple. way to start. Right. Except it, and it's supposed to be intuitive, like a child learns, right? But then they teach you these phrases using your very limited vocabulary like excuse me cat you are not a woman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like what does that mean? That's all I can. When yeah. are you ever going to tell a cat in Germany <laughs> <laughs> that it is not a woman?
1: That's right. That is true. That's it's some very strange combination in Schulengüng. Right cat. What is cat in German? Katze. 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 Ja. ja. ja yeah. Yeah. Ja. Ja. Okay. And they say okay. It's the same in Italian. Everybody picks up uh, genau exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (sharp) Switch okay to genau and then you'll fit right in.
1: Uh, they say genau. What's the other one? Um (laughs) Genklar. 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 Okay. Anyways. They're probably super bored right now. There's your German
0: lesson for the day.
1: Move on. And Ger- German things you should know. There you
0: German go. German stuff you German should know.
1: German stuff you should know. And Goebbels just being like, oh, they're just bragging again. Last time it was their traps. Easiest Oh, they muscles know and so much sock. language. Oh, they think they're so cool. They can say you are a woman. Du bist mein Frau. Du bist mein Frau. Oh, <laughs> <mine> <laughs> so you're frau. my woman. You're my Oops. woman. Okay. <laughs> that one's moving on. Moving on. So um, I got kind of an ambitious topic today, Miguel. And I'm going to set my little uh, watch here. That
0: was Spanish. Oh, sorry. Wondering. Um wondering.
1: I don't want to go too long on this, and I can. I can oh, okay. on this one, yeah. yeah.
0: set your watch. I so, don't know what
1: we're supposed to be shooting for. The today. topic for today is, um, is papal infallibility. Papal infallibility. Which I perused through the long index of Catholic stuff topics, and was surprised to find we've never done this.
0: Ah, this is a very Catholic topic.
1: Very Catholic topic. Very Catholic stuff you should know. And um, so this concerns me as a guy who's studying dogmatic theology. Right. And uh, I'll explain what that means in a second. But you can't really approach this question without approaching the question of what is dogma? What is church teaching? Because the whole purpose of this infallibility thing is to actually talk about um, and to defend and articulate these things called dogmas. Church
0: dogma, yeah.
1: Dogma, if you're from Minnesota, right? Farmington. Uh, yeah, and um, dogma. And um, so that's, uh, that's kind of, we have to do a little bit of that as well. This okay. is going to scare you. I actually have notes for this one today. Um, but the, the reason for this is that um, I, I, you and I were talking with our theological advisor, Father David Nix, good friend of ours. We had a nice uh, nice dinner with him on Saturday night. And uh, one of the things we were talking about was there's a common misconception around what the pope Says and what is the nature of his infallibility? I think okay. that's a very yeah. common thing, um, you know. So uh, we got—it's uh, just we've had forty years of um, popes who have been speaking in a world of uh, international and immediate communication. Really, with Paul the they really began. Yeah,
0: I suppose with like Paul the the six, radio and
1: John. The- uh sorry newspapers. john paul one I, I don't know if he did anything he was only there a month john paul two benedict and now pope francis and it just keeps going and going and going now pope francis is on instagram and tweeting oh, yeah, and all this different yeah. stuff mm-hmm. so it's just it continues to develop but if you think about it 150 years ago you if you were a peasant in bavaria or poland or something you could basically go your whole life without hearing anything the pope had ever said be a faithful catholic. Yeah, right, you know. Maybe yeah. here we got a new pope or something like that.
0: Unless somebody that had heard was communicating it to you. So sometimes a pope writes encyclical letters. Mm-hmm. Those are letters to his bishops. Right. Or all the bishops of the right. church, the universal church. And then maybe they would communicate those to the pastors and they'd preach about them or something like yeah.
1: that. Yeah, yeah. But, but even if you think like how long it would take news to travel, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, at I, this point if there's an encyclical written There's like rough drafts that are already
1: published and people are getting all
0: crazy and buzzy about it.
1: Right. So I think that as we look at uh, the papacy in our day, we have to consider that, that there's a sociological shift that's happened because of technology and because of the way that it's reformed world communications. Mm -hmm. And um, with that comes responsibility. With that also comes um, a lot of questions about what does this actually look like. Yeah, right. And so we've had two papal... Uh, trips across the Atlantic, where it's been interviewed, kind of off the cuff, and it's really freaked people out. And that happened uh, a year ago, and then it happened recently. And um, you and I recently flew across the Atlantic and are still kind of in that. They've seen what jet lag's like. It's kind of crazy. You yeah, know? you don't want to have dinner with me right uh, after get off jet lag. You know, this is not. Uh, yeah. Not, and I don't, I don't want to
0: be interviewed.
1: You don't want to be interviewed. Jet yeah, eggs, jet lag is not a good thing. This is not a good time. You just want to have a bourbon, eat some Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> Pass out. Yeah, that
0: sounds nice. But,
1: um, and so we've had, uh, I, I know a lot of just good Catholics who are just really confused, you know. And um, so with that in mind, I want to say, I'm not going to take a um, uh, position on Pope Francis and on the things that were said. That's kind of out of the scope of this topic. But I do want to say, what is the Pope? You know, because that's yeah. my job as a as a dogmatic yeah. theologian is to help clarify what is the nature of dogma and how does this actually work? Is that and make what, sense? Yeah,
0: what is infallible? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. how is the pope infallible
1: exactly and we're doing this right now and we're putting off the love pride one at the risk of being assassinated if oh, i do yeah. this any longer but because there is a post exhortation coming out soon and it could be difficult to understand and i promise you us,
0: emily that he emily, wants to do the the love pride one he's happen. been begging me but i've oh, been kind of
1: pushing for some oh, topic. she got her german at the beginning of this oh podcast, yeah 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 so, yeah, yeah that's so, right really- emily no complaints. Okay. You'll get it next month. Entschuldigung. Entschuldigung. Exactly. Nice. Genau. Um, yeah, so so with this exhortation coming out from the synod and all the kind of craziness around it, we want to just clarify again what what are we talking about here when we talk about this this papal infallibility stuff, okay? That's yes. the plan. All right? Great. So the uh, so basically what I want to do here is um, I want to lay out for you, um, what is dogma? How does it work? Because we've got to talk about that. That's the whole point of infallibility is to protect this thing called dogma. Okay. And then talk about papal primacy because infallibility doesn't really make sense without it. And then actually get down to what what are we talking about when we say the word infallible? So that's the three right there. All right. Dogma. I'm ready. Primacy. And I, I, should,
0: I should tell the uh, listener land that uh, I don't know these points as well. as I've, I've had classes in the past, but... Uh, Father John is studying this regularly, so right. um, I'm learning as we go. Yeah.
1: Well, hopefully, hopefully you learned something here. So, um, so dogma. So, we'll start with that. Mike, what does the Greek word dogma mean? It means teaching. Teaching. What does the Latin word doctrina mean? It means teaching. Very good. So, the words doctrine and dogma... Yes, I'm
0: glad I got those right. I got
1: those right. <laughs> they both mean teaching. So, when we talk about dogma, you know, you think of the movie where... What's-her-name was... Uh, Was that Alanis Morissette was God or something like that? That was a crazy movie in the 90s. Remember that dogma? I do
0: remember. Everybody hates dogma. Everybody
1: hates dogma. Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek. Everybody hates dogma. Well, dogma is just teaching, right? It's just teachings. Now, um, when we talk about dogma, though, we have a very specific understanding of what that means. All right. So, um, to get into this now and to kind of make some distinctions, a dogma is a particular kind of doctrine. I know they're the same words, but the way we've used them now in the church is that there's these different kind of levels so to speak of doctrine depending on how they're laid out right okay so the highest form of that we call dogma dogma uh, is the okay. highest form of church teaching of doctrine church teaching. think of doctrine as like the broader topic yeah and then doctrine is like the or excuse me and I'm getting confusing myself doctrine is kind of the broader umbrella topic dogma is the most is a very specific kind okay right? mm-hmm. so a dogma is an infallible teaching that's divinely and formally revealed by God. What does that mean? Okay. That basically means that it's, it's um, immediately revealed. So it's in the scriptures, in the tradition, and it's been defined by the church.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. That's, revealed by God, not somebody coming up with this idea. Right.
1: So, yeah. So the Holy Trinity, the real presence, these things are immediately revealed by God. We could not know by reason that God was a trinity. But he reveals it
0: yeah, okay, in I that. See.
1: So you're saying you're, you're a scripture guy, so you're saying, well, wait a second, where is this, where's the Trinity thing in the scriptures? Well, you gotta remember that there's kind of this Jesus is the the incarnate logos, he's the the word made flesh. So he's historical and he's ontological in the sense that he's being um, we, he 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 is truth as well. He tells us right, that yeah. so in the historical development of dogma, we come to these conclusions. And they're usually defined in order to protect the church. So we'll get into this in a second. Okay. But there's, there's a reason. We don't just kind of randomly make up stuff. We're like, I think we need to like really just come up with a new dogma. You know, right. A new dogma. So the Pope's like, I think we'll do this. It's always in response to something. Right. This is talking about
0: revelation. Jesus is the revelation of God. Exactly. So um, Hebrews begins with, uh, in the past, God has spoken to us and varied in many ways in the prophet's in the scriptures, and now he has spoken to us in his son. And John's gospel says, this is the revelation. Jesus is the one who reveals God to us. So all of our seeking to understand who God is and what our religion is about, every doctrine stems from an understanding of Jesus and what he reveals, who
1: he is. Exactly. So these dogmas, these particular kinds of doctrine of teachings that articulate an aspect of Jesus. Jesus is the, the disclosure of God. Um, they happen in two different ways. Because remember, what makes a dogma? Well, it has to be immediately revealed by God. And then it has to be, at some point, um, defined by the church. And there's, right, two, ways okay. that that, there's two ways that is two ways that can happen. There's something called the Extraordinary Magisterium. And then there's the Ordinary Magisterium. Extraordinary Magisterium is, and again, one of two ways. This is the problem when you let dogmatic guys talk. Everything gets subdivided, subdivided, subdivided. So you got, the dogmas are either extraordinary or ordinary. Ordinary magisterium is like when the bishops are teaching in union together. Extraordinary is when they define something at a council or the pope does it on his own, ex cathedra, from the chair. Okay, that's extraordinary. Extraordinary. So you have the normative kind of thing with the church's kind of teachings, and then every once in a while you have these extraordinary teachings. Councils meet and they make a definition, right? Uh, you think of the Council of Nicaea and defending the divinity of Christ. You think of the Council of Ephesus uh, 431 or whatever it was and defending Mary, the mother of God. You know, These are, yeah. these are uh, uh, immediately revealed by God and they're mm-hmm. solemnly defined by a council. Then yeah. you fast forward to 1,800 years later and it's the 19th century and these Bible guys... Like somebody, oh boy, starts screwing everything up, right? Ah, and okay. so, von Harnack, Loisy, uh, Gunther was a dogmatic guy, but we'll leave him alone. These these nineteenth century modernist um, kind of modern heresies start to strip away the church's authority, and they start to propose something called dogmatic relativism, which uh, basically yes. means the church. It's it's how we understand it today. You meet somebody on the street, and, and you think, and you ask them, how do those, how do how do Catholics make up teachings, and they would say, you know, the Pope just kind of decides, and then everybody has to say, yeah, yeah right. we have to believe that. Relativism, right? Yeah. Another way of putting it is positivism, which is whatever the Pope wants to make up, he gets to make up.
0: And whatever. that's what we believe.
1: And that's what we believe.
0: Which is not true at all.
1: Which is not true, and I think that's the number one thing. <laughs> if you're going to take one thing away from this and you lose all the distinctions between extraordinary and ordinary uh, magisterium and all this nonsense, not nonsense, it's beautiful, but if you can't keep it all straight, just remember the one thing. We're not Mormons. We don't just make up yeah. teachings, and we don't just get rid of teachings and make up new teachings. So there the, can
0: be clarification of of the apostolic teaching and the deposit of faith. This is something passed down from Jesus, but there is no new whatever, no new exactly. teaching, no new revelation. This is all
1: Jesus. Exactly. I'm looking at these Sour Patch Kids. So I'm going to try and make an analogy. How does that sound? Oh, I love it. So as you long long think as it's of sour like. Patch Jesus gives us a huge thing. This is going to be really bad and probably heretical, but he, he gives us a huge thing of Sour Patch Kids at the beginning, right? Yeah. And then he assigns you, Father Mike Grab, to preserve this for all eternity, right? And to pass I'll, it on. Do that. I know, that's terrible. I know. It, so it would have to be by the Holy okay. Spirit that I'll this is it, even Jesus. possible. And every once in a while, I'm outside and I'm like, I hate Sour Patch Kids. And you know what? There's no such thing as yellow Sour Patch Kids. And every once in a while, you have to say, no, they're fine, they're fine, there's yellow. And I start convincing all my friends, and I'm like, there's no such thing as yellow sour patch kids. And I start getting a movement going against, and finally you have to strike and you have to pull out a yellow sour patch kid and say, sure there everybody. are yellow sour patch kids. Look you at define it, you put it back into its, the deposit. Yeah,
0: well, th- yeah, right. So the deposit of faith is a little more important than the yellow sour right. patch kids. But I like it. I'm or if they make, say, trying to look, make this, you know. They're all Swedish fish.
1: They're all Swedish fish. They have
0: no... Sour sugar on them that's been alive from the beginning, right you take it out and you feed it to them
1: that's right and that's it. And if you think of the deposit of faith like that, which is what they're they're keeping, doctrines aren't just made up. you don't just make up candy you've been given everything, which is Jesus, and your task is to preserve it through history. These are not Swedish fish, you have to clarify that. you have to define it. It's like defining the parameters, so to speak yeah and only when that happens in history, do we have to actually do that?
0: Right. And it happens a lot that there's confusion in the church. So this is maybe, if you if you look at the church history as monolithic, like it's just a succession of bishops teaching whatever they want and passing it on from one to the next uh, without any other context, then you really lose the sense that throughout church history, there has always been people who make up their own ideas right. and say, Jesus... Right. No, you know, Jesus w- wasn't God. He was just a man. You know, that heresy has come up so many times that it was very important for the church to define what does it mean when we say Jesus Christ? Right. And it, what does it not mean? Right. And this, these are the kind of clarifications that kind of form that th- those definitions of dogma theologically.
1: Right. And the the intensity of the definition... Usually corresponds to the intensity of the of the attack or the heresy. Yeah. So they have to fortify that part of it based on how strong. So this dogma is going to be the strongest fortification uh, against uh, to respond to that thing to make the clarification. This is the case, right? right? So and the, and part of the point is who
0: if you are a, if you are a Catholic they kind of set up walls. If you are a Catholic, if you are a Christian, you believe this. This is what Christians believe. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe this stuff, well, you might be something, mm-hmm. but you are not Catholic,
1: right? You know? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and again, this all sounds crazy to people who aren't Catholic. But even as as Catholics, we just kind of think whatever the Pope says, whatever the bishop says, this has obviously got to be. And um, that's where we gotta we gotta recognize this is very very different. So, so let me go back to this these dogmas. Mm-hmm. Okay, dogmas are the only thing that we say are infallible, right? Okay, uh, falere is the Latin. I looked it up. Where is it? Ch-ch-ch-ch-ch. To fail. Yeah, to like deceive. Error to fail oh, to deceive. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, the only the only technically infallible doctrines are dogmas, solemnly defined by the councils, hmm. as de fide or by the um, by the Pope ex cathedra. Okay. Now this is crazy. Yeah, we'll You're to thinking to yourself. That. So the majority of the dogmas of the Church. Um, have been defined by councils, de fide. But in the last two centuries, uh, there has been, well, two, actually, ex cathedra statements, which are infallible statements. So they're infallible when the Pope in 18, what was it, 1854, I forget, uh, defined the Immaculate Conception. Mm-hmm. 1950 defined the Assumption, right? Mm-hmm. So those carry the same weight as an ecumenical council would have thousand years before something like that or even five hundred extraordinary
0: magisterium but infallible dogma
1: right so you got for example when trent meets to kind of clean up the mess of the protestant reformation they're making de fide statements right around grace and nature and these things Mm -hmm. those are infallible statements Uh, but they're the council that's one kind of extraordinary magisterium and then the other kind is when the pope just does it himself right but the the, and hope, "de, de oh,
0: fide," he used the word "de fide," that or the phrase "de fide" means you have to believe it.
1: Gotta believe it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: this is what it means to be a Christian,
1: right? This is at the very this is our essence faith. of the faith. Yeah. So, so "de fide," um, the, there's no getting around this: Trinity, um, real presence of the Eucharist. These are these are um, clear definitions that the church has made in order to respond to errors, uh, in order to preserve the deposit of faith
0: mm-hmm. in its
1: purity and its perfection. But, but What the, about something like the creed? Well, the creed, that's an interesting question, the symbol of faith. Because um, that
0: seems like really at the, at the base. You know? Yeah,
1: that's a good question. I would presume that would be uh, De Fide, and that would be probably one of the first examples of um, an ecumenical council meeting. There was councils yeah, right, before, right. but yeah, that would be... The, the the creed and its contents and that, that was kind that of
0: shaped over the course of several councils
1: exactly yeah. into
0: a real formula that Even we in repeat it. regularly
1: exactly yeah the uh, so the the point of this is the the how do i say this the normal form of the extraordinary thing when this plays out is councils the second vatican council didn't make any solemn definitions okay um, but the popes of the last two centuries have made two Two, all right, and those are the two infallible statements of popes in the last two centuries. So it's very, very rare when a pope is ex cathedra from his chair. There's a whole formula. There's a whole kind of particular way that he has to do it, and he has to develop something um, and clarify something from the church. And we can go into that, but I I think we're running out of time.
0: We Catholics say that the pope is infallible, but we it's very qualified, right? So this isn't um, you kind of hear this frequently in apologetics. This isn't when the pope predicts the weather for tomorrow, right? Or tells you who um, who he thinks is the best basketball team in the NCAA. Exactly. You know, he's not right about everything. It just means he protects the deposit of faith when he officially qual- um, declares these things ex cathedra.
1: Exactly. That's it, and it's it's very very rare. So the pope is not just kind of this one guy who just gets to kind of just do whatever he wants, you know, and and make all these decisions. Um, Aquinas has this great line where he says, it was necessary for the sake of unity that someone should, quote, finally to decide questions of faith so that they may be held with unshakable faith by all. Mm. So that's the purpose of the papacy. Yeah. So um, so when we think about this, we realize that um, not everything the Pope says is infallible.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: That's that's a big thing to realize, um, but the also to say that not only if a Catholic has an understanding that only infallible statements I have to assent to in faith—that's crazy, and that's actually not church teaching. Right. right. So Popeyes. Right. So a lot
0: of these other doctrines are something we have to. Hold, right?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place here. I had a whole plan and I was going into this. I'm but sorry, I'm let, me, let me. So, sorry. Pius XII, uh, Humani Generis, and then Vatican II and Lumen Gentium both reasserted non infallible statements are to be received with submission and mind and will of the faithful, right? Mm-hmm. While not requiring the assent of faith, they cannot be disputed. Okay, so this all, you're saying to yourself, what the heck? This is just like Father John split and too much time abroad. Basically, the teaching authority of the church, which we call the magisterium, um, exercise it its, itself in different ways. And we need to be submissive of mind and heart, depending on the different levels. To the magisterium. To the magisterium. magisterium. But there's there's particular priority to these dogmas, to the these ones that are timely and, and asserted with kind of a particular force to them. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, you've got dogmas, you've got doctrines, which are just kind of intrinsically revealed truths, and you have theological opinions as well. So there's a place for theological oh, discussion okay. and opinions, and if the Pope makes a judgment on that, then... Basta, You know, yeah, I was wondering it. about the, the, the mm-hmm. kind and of speculative. These, theology. And there's all these delineations of the different kinds of theological opinions, uh, which I will not. I will spare you all of getting into. But the most important thing to, to realize is that the pope is uh, the the first among equals of the bishops. He's not above the bishops. You know, mm-hmm. he is uh, a bishop. He's the bishop of Rome. But from the very beginning of the church, he's had a sense of primacy which allows a certain jurisdiction over the church and over the world. Pope is the only one who's not bound by church church law basically. He's bound solely di- by divine law because no, he I is the jurisdiction over the church, you know. Yeah. So he has he has a, a tremendous authority that's vested in him. Yeah. But even so, he is not creating teachings and he doesn't get to just do what he wants and create what he wants, but he's a steward of the tradition. And it would be impossible for a pope to define something contrary to that which the church has held. Yeah. So there's no way that we could just repeal it. Pope Francis couldn't say, there's no such thing as a trinity, guys. I'm just defining that solemnly. Right. Well, saying that. No, no you're not, because this is the deposit of faith and it's already been defined.
0: Right. So this is c- the church. You can't t- you can't teach something contrary to what right. the church believes. You can
1: only define something that's not been defined. Right. Right. Your task is to de- is to... Uh, bring it about and to continue it. And that's the most important, I keep saying this is the most important thing, but I'm going to read you a little bit here on um, regarding the papacy. And I think this will help to kind of help us understand that yes, he's he is the successor of Peter. Yes, Peter was given the primacy, which means jurisdiction. Yes, the Pope possesses full and supreme power of jurisdiction over the church, including discipline. Discipline is a level below uh, doctrine, so it's not teachings. It's it's for the governance of the life. Celibacy would be an example of uh, discipline. Can't get into that right now though. Yeah, go ahead. But he is uh, he sees over all of this different stuff. Okay, so I'm going to read you this quote, and then I'm going to tell you a story about Father Lebsock, and then we'll close this up. Wait, I got a same?
0: question about okay, apostolicity. But
1: okay, I think you in can between do this first. Okay, not all the assertions of the teaching authority of the church on questions of faith and morals are infallible, and consequently irrevocable. Only those are infallible which emanate from general councils representing the whole episcopate and papal decisions ex cathedra. So this is just a summary from a guy named Ludwig Ott. Oh yeah, who uh, is basically saying every time the pope speaks, it's not infallible, and every time that he speaks on faith and morals, it's not even infallible. That's really important to hear, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and uh, so he is not intending to be infallible. Is it bad if the pope is erring? If he's uh, convoluted, if he's confusing teachings, if he's unclear, yes, that is a big problem. Right. But it's not, a, it's not um, something where the whole deck of cards comes down. You know, we, have, we know some people who are like that. Just everything's falling apart. Yeah, right. Things. No, no, yeah. no, no. No, it's not. The ordinary and usual form of papal teaching is not infallible.
0: Yeah, well. Wow.
1: The normal thing you're hearing on Twitter and homilies in the New York Times is not infallible teaching. And furthermore, the decisions of the Roman congregations are not infallible. Nevertheless, they need to be held with an inner assent and a trust and a confidence right. that God is working through this man and through the bishops in, united with him.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, we, like with our bishops, we promise respect and obedience when we're ordained. I think that's something that goes along with the Christian spirituality mm-hmm. in general and being, just being a Catholic. Is that we uh, somehow give respect and obedience to someone else, someone who represents Jesus, and that could be at the parish level, that can be as priests, that can be you know at every level in a um, religious community. You always have someone that you're uh, obedient and respectful towards. Right. So we always have to respect the the authorities in the church, right. um, and then we owe them a certain. Obedience because they're entrusted with authority, but this is kind of drawing a line at the point of saying, can they be wrong about their teaching? And you're saying yes, they can, and um, and they there, there are times when when it happens, but then can they be wrong if they pronounce on behalf of all of the bishops and the church, a, a kind of define the faith? No, they they can't, and they haven't right, um, and. The effect of which is that we can say as a one holy Catholic and apostolic church, that, that piece apostolic, that we actually believe what the apostles taught. Right. And we actually teach what the apostles teach, um, that it, it hasn't changed in some very fundamental way. Those people who walked with Jesus, listened to him preach, uh, were formed by him are the ones who are teaching today through the right. deposit of faith. I mean, Father Mike, I, I, I'm brilliant, but not that brilliant. Right. I'm really not very smart. What I, what I do on Sundays is try to teach what the church teaches, not whatever I come up with is a right. good idea, you know. Oh, and on this podcast, everything, you know,
1: I was thinking about that. I was thinking we spent a couple days with all our boys, uh, back in the States and a lot of them are parish priests and a lot of them get a hard time for some of it. And it's just like, listen, we're not trying to, we're not making things up. We're not pushing an agenda here. We're just teaching what the church teaches, you know, and that hasn't happened for a long time, unfortunately, consistently. And it just needs to be back. And we also need to understand we, we had a saint who was a Pope a decade ago, you know, and, uh, but with that being said, we need to recognize that that's not the, the standard thing. You it's know? not the
0: norm. Yeah.
1: It's not the norm, but the church is hierarchically constructed, and there is authority that Christ gave, and we respect that, and we trust that. We mm-hmm. trust that. So I like what you're saying about that, apostolicity. Father Lebsack, and we'll close okay. it out. This is a Let's great little story to close it out for you. He's probably going to be horrified that I tell this, but you know what? He knows, knows everything. All the family stuff comes up. I
0: might be horrified hearing it.
1: Uh, so you remember when Father Chris went to the Metallica concert in Munich?
0: Oh, he did. Yeah, yes, and he did. was in
1: his clerics and he was jamming out and uh, in his super intense. Now Father, Father Chris
0: is very into Metallica and it's it, it has something to do with his very vocation. Yeah, yeah. This at the, at the deepest it brought level. him to Jesus. It brought him to vocation to the priesthood.
1: Yeah, and some guy looks at him. He didn't say, uh, "Inconshunt." What's that word? In en entschuldigung. En he didn't say that. He looked at him and he said, "You're a priest." And he said, um, probably some expletives, but he he said, uh, you just do whatever the Pope tells you. And Lebsock probably had that vein sticking out of the side of his bald head, and he just looked at him and he goes, I obey the truth. And if that truth corresponds to what the Pope tells me, then I believe it and I live by it. And the guy goes... Okay. Okay. And then they just kept rocking out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said something like that makes so much that sense. That makes so much sense. And I like that story and I like Father Chris's Father Christopher Lebsock's response because uh, that's what it's about. This is the truth. We don't believe this because the pope tells us to believe it. We believe it because it's the truth. Yeah. And the pope's task is to is to uh, cons- preserve that and to hand that on through history. Christ is the head of the church. We call the Pope the vicar, the vicarius. He's the representative. He's the head of the temporal, the militant church. In this life, as we're passing through history, the Pope is Christ's representative to bring it through. That's why Peter got the keys. That's why Peter's successors have the authority. He's the primate of the church, so to speak, but he's the vicar. Christ is the head, and ultimately it's Christ who's the one who's keeping this whole thing united. Mm -hmm. He's the head of the body. And it's His grace and it's the work of His Spirit that keeps us all united and that's given us this really sweet faith after 2,000 yeah. years in its purity.
0: Yeah, I like that. So there you I go. I mean, I always found it very condescending when people say, oh, Catholics don't think for themselves. You right. got dogma, you got magisterium. Somebody tells you what to think. Well, okay, I mean, yes, there's, there's dogma and there's, there's magisterium. I'm very grateful for that. Right. And it hasn't kept me from thinking whatever I want to think. Right. I've thought a lot of things that don't belong to the church's deposit, and that's stupid. And right. I've come to realize most of those things are very stupid. Right. But a lot of us have to sort of, I mean, that's just human. You have to ask the questions, what is the truth? Here's one, it's like Jesus offering us, here's a... Um, you know here's here's the dogma of the church here's here's a proposal proposition to you can you um, assent to it in faith Um, do you believe it that's always the question do you have faith
1: right and that authority and freedom actually go hand in hand so that's it
0: yeah thanks man no problem
1: ooh it's going late shout outs real quick first off we're going to use Alana Boudreaux's uh, Petros song oh great and she's one of our, our good friends, and uh, we love this song. And uh, if you if you like the music, Alana Boudreau, there's more vowels than nouns in her, her uh, not even nouns. What do you call them? There's she's got a lot of not, uh, vowels in her name. I can't really spell it out right now. But if you go to uh, lovegoodmusic.com, you can yeah. find Alana's. Music it might be
0: there. Alana Marie Boudreaux. Boudreaux. but
1: Boudreau. And um, that's that Sour Patch Kids
0: yes thank and, you
1: and bourbon friends christy zach Renzovsky. thank you littleton christy zach rovskowski there's too many z's in this name i think my tongue is burning after zach so many zoe tommy christy you things. guys are awesome cabrini families they're the best we were so amazed that somebody shipped this across the world to us and uh we're very excited about that and the last shout out for me is our lady of grace parish in maricopa uh Arizona, building a, new brand, a brand new church in the desert. That's from Chris Shoemaker.
0: Yeah, congratulations. Good there luck you with go. that new church. And uh, I want to shout out, now this is long overdue, but I want to shout out uh, the Skeltons. The skeletons. So, uh, a special shout out to Brian Shelton from his lovely wife, Ashley. Fairly newly married. Um, but really to the whole Skelton family. They're like this solid, um, rangely St. Ignatius family. Who uh who I could always count on being at the church praying. That's awesome. Uh, that's Mark and Connie, that's uh that's Marky Mark, Brittany. Marky Mark uh Matt and Tiffany, um the whole crew. So
1: Very nice. Good rangely folk. That's great to hear. I think that's it. We better wrap this up before we go as long as uh, Father Nathan and Father Michael. So that's it. podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to email us your questions. We always appreciate hearing from you. And we will see you next week. Later, later.